0: Scriptures today come from the book of Acts, chapter 9, 1 through 19. Meanwhile, Saul was still breathing out murderous threats against the Lord's disciples. He went to the high priest and asked him for letters to the synagogues in Damascus, so that if he found any there who belonged to the way, whether men or women, he might take them as prisoners to Jerusalem. As he neared Damascus on his journey, suddenly a light from heaven flashed around him. He fell to the ground and heard a voice say to him, Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? Who are you, Lord? Saul asked. I am Jesus, whom you are persecuting, he replied. Now get up and go into the city, and you will be told what you must do. The men traveling with Saul stood there speechless. They heard the sound, but they did not see anyone. Saul got up from the ground, but when he opened his eyes, he could see nothing. So they led him by the hand into Damascus. For three days he was blind and did not eat or drink anything. In Damascus, there was a disciple named Ananias. The Lord called to him in a vision. Ananias, yes, Lord, he answered. The Lord told him, go to the house of Judas on Straight Street and ask for a man from Tarsus named Saul, for he is praying. In a vision, he has seen a man named Ananias come and place his hands on him to restore his sight. Lord, Ananias answered, I have heard many reports about this man and all the harm he has done to your holy people in Jerusalem. And he has come here with authority from the chief priest to arrest all who call on your name. But the Lord said to Ananias, Go, this man is my chosen instrument to proclaim my name to the Gentiles and their kings and to the people of Israel. I will show him how much he must suffer for my name. Then Ananias went to the house and entered it. Placing his hands on Saul, he said, Brother Saul, the Lord Jesus, who appeared to you on the road as you were coming here, has sent me so that you may see again and be filled with the Holy Spirit. Immediately, something like scales fell from Saul's eyes and he could see again he got up and was baptized. And after taking some food, he regained his strength. Saul spent several days with the disciples in Damascus. This is the word of our Lord. Thanks be to God. Amen.
1: Now, y'all might know that my first Sunday was the first Sunday in July. And if you've been here each of those Sundays, you might notice we've been doing the same text over and over again. And some of you might be wondering, does that preacher know any other part of the Bible? There's a story preachers tell about a pastor who moved to a new church, and his first Sunday he gets up and he preaches from John chapter 3, where Jesus is meeting with Nicodemus, and he said, he preaches, you must be born again. And as people are going out, they say, good sermon, preacher. We like that. That's good. Next Sunday, a preacher gets up, preaches the exact same sermon. And the people are thinking to themselves, well, he's just moved. He still has boxes to him unpack. And, and moving is a lot of work, so, so, we'll give, so we'll give him some grace this time. That must be why he had to preach the same sermon again. But then comes the third Sunday. And he gets up and once again, he preaches John chapter 3. You must be born again. And finally, the people come to him and they say, Preacher, are you ever going to preach anything else? And the preacher says, well, when you do this, I'll move on to something else. That's not my motivation. What I see here in Acts chapter 9 is an example of the depth of what we can see in scripture almost any text we find here there is more than one thing to say about it and more than one valuable thing to say about it god wants to speak to us through scripture god doesn't just want to give us true propositions true assertions things about god things about his ways Things about the world. God does want to do that, but God also seeks to do a work in our lives with the goal of making us more like Jesus. That's why we spend time in Scripture. That's why we sometimes go over the same text over and over again. As we've looked at this text so far, we've seen that God is always at work. In people's lives he's always at work in my life always at work in your life we might be aware of it we might not be aware of it but my assumption as a preacher is that God is at work in your life and that we can discern that work and respond to it there are times where God's work comes to a head it brings us to a point of decision A point where we need to decide what we're going to do and how we're going to respond. That's where Saul comes to here in Acts chapter 9 on his road to Damascus. It comes to a point of repentance. The idea of repentance is we're going one direction in life and we turn around and go to another direction. In repentance, there's always a turning from We stop doing something. We stop thinking a particular way. We stop and set aside some of the assumptions we had. And there's a turning to. Our life is going to a new direction. It's oriented around different things and toward different people. There's always repentance and faith, and we see that happening here. For Saul in this story, his repentance was turning from being a persecutor of those who claim the name of Jesus, to himself being a follower of Jesus, and also to the next step of being a proclaimer of Jesus, one who went around throughout the Mediterranean world proclaiming the name of Jesus, planting churches, helping people come to faith in Christ. For Ananias, another character in this story, repentance meant turning from fear to trusting God. The fear of going close to people like Saul, who all he knew about him was he's an enemy. Two, trusting Jesus, that Jesus knew what he was talking about when he sent him to go talk to him. So always repentance and faith. We also saw in this text last week that God calls us to do things that matter. We focused on Ananias we asked the question, what would have happened if Ananias had not trusted God? What would have happened if Ananias had said, Lord, this Saul guy, he came here breathing out murderous threats. He wants to kill people like me. He doesn't just want to say, eh, you're wrong. He doesn't want to just troll us on Facebook. He wants to kill us. God entrusted Ananias with the work of telling Saul about Jesus so that he could make that decision in his life and put his faith in him. God entrusted Ananias with something that mattered. God entrusts us with things that matter. God entrusts us as individuals, and he entrusts us as a church with things that matter. If we ever get to the point where all we're concerned about as a church is being busy and having activities we're missing the point god's intention is that we live in such a way with him and with each other that he is able to make a difference in the lives of the people around us through our life together today we're looking again here at acts chapter 9 but from a different angle if we're going to understand god and know how to respond to him We're going to need some help. When Jesus met Saul, Saul knew that something was happening. There was a light. There was a voice. But there were others there with him. They didn't have any idea what was going on. They knew something was happening. Uh, What's going on, Saul? You're talking to somebody, but we don't see anybody. What's up here? Saul and his friends were in the same place. At the same time, experiencing completely different things. One, Saul, met Jesus. The others, as far as we know, just went away confused. Saul needed help. We see him first getting help getting into Damascus because his encounter with Jesus left him temporarily blind. Have any of you ever been blind or temporarily blind? How would you do, how, how would that work for you? I, I tried that my first week here. I, I, well, I wasn't blind. I just didn't turn off the lights in the sanctuary. And, and I was in here, and it was dark, and I was up here on the stage walking around. And do you all do know what happens right here? <laughs> do you know what happens if you're walking this way and you can't see anything? You fall off. Saul was blind. He needed help. He needed somebody to take him by the hand, by the arm, and guide him into Damascus. He needed help. He needed somebody to explain things to him, somebody to give him hospitality, somebody to feed him, somebody to give him a place to stay. Saul needed help. Ananias was the key here, the one who was sent by Jesus to tell him what was going on. Now, we today, we look back and We're surprised. Why didn't Jesus just do it himself? I mean, Jesus would be more impressive, right? I mean, who would you be more impressed by? Would you be more impressed if, say, the person sitting around you in the pew came and talked to you? Or if Jesus himself showed up? Man, Jesus would be impressive, wouldn't he? And yet here's Jesus sending Ananias. Ananias helps Saul figure out what it is that's going on. So why is it that Saul didn't get it immediately? Why is it that Saul had to go through this phase of persecuting Christians? Why is it that Saul went, had this experience with Jesus? He saw the light. He heard the voice. And it still wasn't enough. Well, we might think first that it's because of human finitude, because we're finite beings. God is infinite. God is the one who created everything. There's an absolute distinction, an absolute difference between God the creator and everything else in the universe. And we might think that it's because of that gap between Saul as a created being and God as uncreated that Saul just didn't get it. We theologians have this little phrase we use, si comprehendis non est Deus now in, in, in English instead Latin the usual translation is if you understand it it's not God because God is beyond our understanding God is bigger than us God is qualitatively different from us if we understand it it's not God but one of the things we need to remember is that god is not an object that we poke and prod back in 10th grade biology i remember that they gave us frogs and they gave us fish and they gave us a fetal pig do you know what we did with those we dissected them we cut them open we looked at them do you know what the frog had to say about that do you know what the fish said about that did the fetal pig say oink they just laid there they were objects on a tray on our lab table god is not just an object that we poke and prod and try to understand instead god is someone who wants us to know him That's why finitude, our our finitude, our finiteness as human beings, is not an absolute obstacle to us knowing God. It's because God wants us to know Him. God is an active agent in our coming to know Him. Now, we can have true knowledge of God because God communicates, we can't have exhaustive knowledge about God because of our finitude. What's the difference? when we look at our relationships with each other my guess is that say in your family or or maybe among your friends you have true knowledge of each other you know things that are true about each other does that mean you know everything there is to know about each other no that's how it is with God we have some true knowledge of God because he's revealed it because he wants us to know Him. But we're not even close to knowing everything there is to know about God. So the first possibility is human finitude, but that doesn't tell the whole story. The second possibility of why Saul didn't get it all immediately is because of his lack of background or previous beliefs. When we look at Saul here, he took himself to know already everything he needed to know about Jesus. Jesus had been a preacher. Jesus had been a teacher. Jesus had called people around him, gotten disciples. But in the end, he was a false prophet. He led people astray. And Saul, understanding Jesus that way, assumed that it was his duty as somebody who was zealous for the true God of Israel to do everything he could to keep people from believing in Jesus. So all these false prophets, all these false believers that were running around leading people to put their faith in this Jesus, the false prophet, he had to deal with them. He did this as an act of faith. Sometimes what we take ourselves to know prevents us from knowing reality. Now, some of y'all, when when y'all heard I was coming here. Y'all, y'all may have heard that name, Hyduke. What on earth is a Hyduke? Now, in my experience in life, I've run into people who are absolutely convinced by their previous experience. There's no such thing as a Hyduke. So when they hear me say my name is Richard Hyduke, they assume I say something. I was like Hendrix. Y'all know anybody whose last name is Hendrix? Well, sure, Hendrix is not that uncommon a name. So I must not have heard Hyduke. I must have heard Hendrix. So we interpret reality in light of our previous experience, which could lead us astray. Maybe that's what's going on with Saul here. But there's another element here. Can we look at the picture here? Okay, can anybody tell what that's a picture of? see anything familiar there that's a that's a picture of right up here it's it's through the doorway over there y'all y'all know when you come in we have doors and and there's a little glass window there What, what I did this week during VBS was I took a picture through the window when you look through the window you can see some things but you're limited in what you can see But then there's that other distorting bit there. Do you see how the windows from the narthex are reflected in the view? Similarly, some of our attempt to understand the world around us is distorted by what we see, and we'll get more into distortion in just a moment. But what, what I needed to get a good picture of this area was to come through the door, to cross the threshold into the sanctuary. If any of y'all are into theology, one of the theologians you might want to consider in our Methodist tradition is Billy Abraham. One of Billy's best books was Crossing the Threshold of Divine Revelation. What he argues there is as we come into knowing God, we can come into knowing God because God reveals himself. Apart from God's revelation, it's like we're looking through a window and can only see little bits. But once we enter, the world seems different because we're in a different place where we can see more. Repentance and faith that I talked about earlier comes in here also. When we repent, we turn from being part of one interpretive community, a community where we speak one way, understand things one way, to being part of another community. Let's try this. do, y- do y'all see that cloth there hanging from the pulpit? What, what color would you say that is? Green? Green. 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 Okay, can, can anybody recognize that as, as green-ish? How about if somebody said verde? Would they be wrong if they said it's verde? No. Why not? Well, they're part of a different linguistic community. They used different words for it. Saul was part of the linguistic community that excluded Jesus, that had no place for Jesus except as false prophet. But as he interacted with the people, the believers there in Damascus, he entered a new linguistic community, a community that that knew Jesus, that put their faith in him. So a first reason that Saul might not have understood what was going on, that he might not have been able to figure out what God was doing was his finitude second reason was lack of background information but there's a third reason that we see here also and that's the consequences of our sin of our brokenness and we look at isaiah in isaiah chapter 6 we see isaiah saying i am a man of unclean lips and i dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips isaiah recognized that his sin Influenced the way he lived and operated and perceived the world but it wasn't just his sin it was the sin of his people the people that he was a part of the same way our sin whether it's our individual sin or or the sin of our community the sin of our forebears can warp and distort and blind us Some of y'all have studied American history. Y'all remember what happened in America between 1861 and 1865? Civil War. And we have two sides fighting the Civil War. We have the North and the South. And the eventual outcome of the war was the end of slavery. Now as a Christian reading the Bible looks to me like the end of slavery is a really good thing. That's something in line with the way of Jesus. So we would assume that the people who were fighting against slavery, they were the Christians, and the people who were fighting to defend slavery, well, they were the atheists and the pagans, right? Well, no, not quite. It seems that the people who were fighting for slavery thought they were doing God's will. They thought they were being biblical but they missed God. We are distorted by our sin and the sin of the communities in which we live. We have to resist that, become aware of it. That's what Saul had to do here. What God does in each case is brings people alongside us. God brought people alongside Saul. God brings people alongside us. Now, we might think sometimes, we don't really need other people. All I need is my Bible, my Bible. I just need to get more into my Bible. And, yeah, you do need to get more into your Bible. Saul new Scripture. One of the things that happens right before Acts chapter 9, you all know what comes before Acts chapter 9, right? Acts chapter 8. And and have any of y'all done that in Sunday school recently, Acts chapter 8, the story of Philip and the Ethiopian eunuch? Maybe maybe you've done that recently. So in that story, you have this Ethiopian eunuch, this official from the kingdom of Ethiopia, and he's there riding in his chariot, and what's he reading? Scripture. Isaiah 53, one of the clearest prophecies of Jesus. And he gets it, right? He understands it perfectly, right? He's got the Bible. No, no. He doesn't get it. Philip comes along and says, Sir, I hear you reading Isaiah 53. I'm paraphrasing. And says, Do you understand it? The guy says, No, I don't understand it. I could use some help. And Philip comes, and he shares Jesus with them. Even in these cases, with, with Philip and the eunuch and Saul, we have people coming together, finding Jesus, sharing Jesus. When we look at original Methodism, the way Methodism started off under the Wesleys in the 18th century, we see that it was a church, not a church, but a movement. It was a movement that assumed God was at work in the lives of people all over England, Scotland, Ireland, all over the world. They met in classes and bands to discern that work, to figure out what God was doing in each other's life. Their basic assumption was to recognize a problem and and seek to do something about it. Let's look at Wesley's language here. Methodist general rules, there is only one condition previously required of those who desire admission into these Methodist societies, a desire to flee from the wrath to come and to be saved from their sins. That's pretty minimal, isn't it? It's, t- it's extremely easy to become a Methodist. All you have to do is have to see the problem and want to do something about it. But wherever this is really fixed in the soul, where you're serious about it, it will be shown by its fruits, by what it produces. Let's go to the next one. It is therefore expected of all who continue there. And in other words, anybody who wants to stay a Methodist for Wesley, that they should continue to evidence their desire of salvation. Let's see how they evidence it. First, by doing no harm, by avoiding evil of every kind, especially that which is most generally practiced, such as, and then if you go read the general rules there, you'll see a long list of things that society said, this is okay. But Jesus said no. So we avoid harm, and then two, by doing good, by being in every kind merciful after their power as they have opportunity. Doing good of every possible sort and as far as possible to all people. So that we're, we're Methodists, we're, we're avoiding harm, we're avoiding doing what goes against God, but we're also doing good, we're doing the right stuff. And then number three, by attending upon all the ordinance of God, such are, and then you see the list there, things like engaging with scripture like worshiping like praying like confessing our sins like fasting like meeting together in our classes in our bands learning together how to answer the question how is it with your soul what is god doing in your life how is god calling you how is god directing you for the original methodist that happened together Could we try that today? Could we come to the place where we learn that discerning, figuring out what God is up to in our lives is something worth doing and something we do with each other, something that we need help with, just like Saul needed help, just like the Ethiopian eunuch needed help? Today, God is at work in your life. Today, you can be serious about your response to God and his work. Today, we need other people in our lives to help us discern that work and to figure out what our next step is. Today, I'd suggest a next step for you. If you're not already connected with a small group of people, a group of people that that you're allowing into your life, people that you're allowing to speak to you and ask you questions. How is it with your soul? What is God doing in your life? How is God guiding you? How is God leading you? Do you see this sin? As we have people that increasingly know us and love us, then we can trust them to speak into our lives even as we speak into their lives. That's something you can do. You can find a small group here at the church it can be a formal group, like a Sunday school class or a Bible study group. It could be a group that meets in a home. It could be a group that meets at work or, or over lunch sometime. But if you need help with that, let me know, and I'll try to get you connected with people. Let's pray. Father, I thank you today for your work in our lives, and I thank you that there's no point that you just give up on us because we're too thick-headed. Lord, I thank you you didn't give up on me when I'm thick-headed. Give us a heart today to respond to you and to do it together as we need you. Amen.